All right, well, here we go. I'm excited to be coming at you for a brand new episode of the Quintessential Ministry Podcast, and I am joined right now by my good friend, Pastor Cameron Lionheart. Would you say hello, Cameron? What's going on, everyone? Cameron is actually the one who named this podcast, so uh, give him a round of applause wherever you are. Uh, We didn't really have a solid name or what we were sure we wanted to use, and then he texted me out of the blue one day. I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, uh, the well, Quintessential Ministry Podcast. I actually have we. I have, to, I have a little, like, Quint's office confessional about oh, okay. this. okay, here we go. So I told everyone in our small group, because most of them know you, like, okay. hey, Quint's starting a podcast. Uh, I talked to him about it today. And I, and I was like, yeah, we just we were, we were talking about, like, what he was going to name it. We couldn't figure out anything. And then, like, there was, like, Five seconds of silence, and then Todd Llewellyn Todd was like, Llewellyn. Okay. Todd Llewellyn was like, the quintessential ministry podcast. I gotta hit that man up on Facebook. Yeah, so I like you it. either need to have him on the podcast as the actual namer, like it, okay. it flowed through me, yeah, and out of my small group. So I'm gonna kind of claim it. Cool, but I love it. Yeah, Todd Llewellyn's a man there. Awesome. Well, thank you, Todd. So that's cool. Um, so, anyways, Cameron is a black belt in jujitsu. Um, so you can call him pastor, or you can call him professor, right? That's, that's right. That's yeah. the right terminology. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he is the pastor at Conduit Ministries. He's an awesome guy, and um, I really just wanted to have him on the podcast because we used to work together. Uh, feels like longer ago than it was. Um, sure does. Would have been about three years ago, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so he's the lead pastor there now, and. I thought it would be really cool to have him on just to share kind of some perspective, um, you know, from the church he leads versus the church I work at here in Erie, Pennsylvania, at Erie First Assembly. Um, And so we are going to talk today about uh, serving in church, um, and that's kind of like, I think that's a common thread that flows through all churches. Uh, If you're trying to get things done for the kingdom, you're not going to do it with just whoever's on staff, that's for sure. And that's not biblical to try to do it through whoever's on staff. The pastor's there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so um, I thought what would be interesting, though, and um, Cameron and I are both Enneagram 8s, so this could be a really interesting conversation. Um, So that's just your warning as you listen in um, today. But Let me paint with a really broad brush. I don't think people actually fall this far out on the spectrum, but when it comes to serving in church, I think a lot of times it can feel like, I'll say it on behalf of of, uh, staff pastors everywhere, sometimes it can feel like people either serve from a place of reluctantly serving because their pastor is asking slash begging them to from stage, or it can feel like, yeah, I'll totally serve because it'll help me XYZ, build my brand, do my thing, get me in front of people. Now, again, super broad brush, major generalizations, obviously not the case. And we have amazing people who serve all over our both of our churches. Yeah. So let me, but just to, I guess, throw out both extremes, both can happen. And I, w- I wanted to get Cameron in here just to talk about from his experience, Conduit, to give you a little background, is a very missional church. When I was there, we did a lot of events, outreach in the city. Uh, if you heard my previous podcast with uh, Pastor Chris Vitarelli out in Michigan, he talked about how a lot of church plants are missional and outreach focused, and that was definitely us at Conduit, and still is uh, to this day. They're a very missional church, so it's different. You know, here at Erie First, we have a lot of international missions and domestic missions trips, um, but. Conduit is like 
boots on the ground in Jamestown, New York, reaching a lot. So um, anyways, I thought it'd be a really good opportunity to just hear from that perspective, hear what uh, experiences you have, Cameron, yeah. and then, uh, you know, I'll let you kind of take it from there and we'll, I'll, I'll jump in here and there as we go, get going. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, kind of definitely, I think, in any definition and for even, you know, it's a relatively new church, you know, we're just five, six years old or, and uh, I think without question, it would be considered a missional movement really focused on outreach and being in um, being in contact with the culture around us, which is kind of an interesting idea that the idea of having a church that's super missional to the community around it is kind of like this trendy, right? new, yeah. like, oh, how, how like... How, how revolutionary yeah seriously like <laughs> someone can you believe like actually someone thought about that and we talked about a little bit about that at conduit uh, a few weeks ago uh, just about how it's ne- it it's never been a revolutionary concept for a church to come out and be like hey we're all about um, we're all about loving on our community um, because of Jesus you know yeah so conduit has been traditionally missional and some I think even would have accused us as of being unbalanced in the like the missional aspect of our life, like being so outwardly focused that there wasn't a whole lot of or isn't a whole lot of encouragement towards personal holiness or personal discipleship of Jesus or like um, diving deep into community with other people and. I, I understand that criticism and want to like always be on always want to be balancing the necessity of uh, mission with the necessity of personal holiness and discipleship because I think in order to be there's absolutely nothing wrong of course with considering yourself or putting the label on your church as a missional church even though I think any church that's not missional is not really a church. Sure. But um, and I think all I think all churches in their own way are striving to be missional. Yeah. It's just how you right. Well, almost every church has a mission statement. Right? Exactly. So it is the goal. It's just how you go about getting there. Right. But but why? Like okay, if you're going to call yourself a missional church, why are we? Mm-hmm. Why are we missional? Are yeah. we missional just because we want to be different from the churches around us, or we want to be innovative or creative or whatever? Or is our sense of mission like deeply rooted in what we believe uh, the Scripture teaches, what we saw Jesus teach, and not even not only what we saw Jesus teach, but what we saw Jesus exemplify in His own life? And what we're trying to do at Conduit is root the root a missional culture a missional DNA of the church in both the life and teaching of Jesus, um, but also the overall witness of Scripture all the way back to when God called himself um, a people in Abram, you know, like come out of a place of comfort, leave your father's um, household, your land, leave behind everything you have, go to the place that I will show you and you will be a blessing. Um, I will, you know, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. Um, and then that's connection all the way up into, you know, like Paul's words to the Ephesians, you know, like that Jesus tore down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile 
and in his own body created one. Um, so like that you and I who believe in Jesus, but like who aren't Jewish people, right. people of the promise of Abraham are now engrafted into yeah. the covenant people of God and are have the same, like, we're part of the same planet that God always had. So, um, but that does require like super strong serving culture. Mm-hmm. If you're going to consider yourself a missional church, you better be ready to mobilize some people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm uh, reading a book right now called, what's it called? It's right here on my desk. Leading small groups. Yeah. Leading small groups. And I'm the small groups pastor here at Erie first. So I thought that's a good book for me to read. And right out of the gate, he's just describing different types of small groups. I think a small group is really just a microcosm of a church, right? Yeah. In its purest form. And he says, and this is what's popping in my head as you're talking, you know, a a small group is going to have these three components at any given time. Community, a missional component, and then a discipleship component. And in my experience leading small groups for almost two years now and leading one in my home, um, but being part of small groups for the last five, six, seven years, is that it's kind of an ebb and a flow, right? Like it's not like you're going to be 33 and a third percent community, 33 and a third percent mission, and 33 and a third percent discipleship yeah. at all times. Right. There's going to be times, I'll give you a perfect example, in our small group, we uh, took the month of December and we all pitched in to bless a local family, and that was like the most missional we'd ever been ever as a small group, right? Um, and then there have been other seasons where we've done eight weeks in a row of like just really big discipleship. We read through Philippians last semester. So, you know what I mean? There's always going to be, and, and that, that is also true of the church. It's just on a bigger scale and it's just hurting more cats. Is how it kind of feels. Of course. Well, I mean, if you just think about the practicality of it, like winter in this, yeah. in this area, people stay in their houses. Like they shut themselves up and right. like they don't want to be out. They don't want to be doing anything. Right. Summer is a great time to do like to be on mission in the city because there's yeah. everything's going on. Everyone is everywhere. You hit the parks with the soccer games with the kids and like it's like you have a lot better opportunity. So yeah, there definitely is like an ebb and flow, a seasonal change of sure. when you do things and when you don't do things. I think the overall point is like remain balanced on a big comprehensive scale rather than right. on like a one for one missional discipleship, missional discipleship. Right. It's not that. It's not that, like, sterile. Right. Um, yeah, and so as Conduit has developed and grown over the last several years and you've gotten your feet under you, because like you said, it's a young church, mm-hmm. um, it has been, discipleship is playing a little bit of catch-up to missional, you know, but that's good and that's healthy. Like, that's, yeah, right? Like, you, it started as a very missional movement, and now that you've got a base, you're working through that. Yeah, and like, and I, I don't want to like. Well, while I say that, like, some of the criticism of conduit is probably pretty fair. I also don't want to get into the habit or like take the line, like the, the line of reasoning that somehow the history of conduit is bad or that it started in the wrong way. Like, I don't believe that at all. I think right. conduit was. I don't either. Yeah. Exactly what Jamestown needed, right at the right moment, and um, but yeah, there is a little bit of. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of catch up that needed to be happening, happen in the like the rationale for why we do it, and to go back to like the initial conversation about like leadership, like how does a pastor or how does anyone really encourage or um, build a strong 
serving culture in the midst of whatever kind of church that you are a part of. For us, what what I've found and what I've experienced, and I've, you know, kind of it's not the first church I've pastored. I've been a pastor now for 15 years, right. and so I'm not, you know, I'm not, I still think of myself as young and green, but I'm not anymore, and I have some Pers- that beard has a lot of gray hair. In it. Yeah, well, they're that's they're hard earned. That's why <laughs> you know they're hard earned by experience. Um, but uh, you know what I've what I'm seeing now is that we preachers, pastors, leaders, we tend to feel the necessity of like the one side of the spectrum where, man, we really got to convince these people with my own with my own personality, my own charisma my own like relationship with them that they need to get involved in this thing. Right. Like, hey, we got this big plan, we got this big event, we really need you there. Don't let us down. Please be there. Like right. we're gonna look bad if you're not there. Um, and people respond to that for a while. Yeah. The first event maybe, maybe the second event. Um but what I find just to be more to produce better longevity in our congregations, but also um, to maybe sanctify the volunteering process Mm -hmm. is that if you don't root the reason that you're doing mission in scripture, you're rooting it in like shifting sand. Sure. You know, like, hey, I got this big idea, guys, and I want you to come, I need you to come help me with it, right? Mm -hmm. If we root like the motivation for them to be there in not disappointing the pastor, I tell my people all the time, I am going to disappoint you. Right. If I haven't yet, like, just wait, because I will. I right. promise. I mm-hmm. promise you I'll disappoint you. But if we root the reason for people's volunteering in their relationship with Jesus, in uh, the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life, with the discovery of their own spiritual gifts, um, with what Jesus taught, with what he exemplified, um, with the overall vision and mission of God in the world, then we're going to create believers who they, they act out of, a, out of a sense, not out of a sense of obligation, but out of the, the grounding of their own identity as people who are a part of God's greater plan. Right. Oh. Yeah, and, I, I totally agree, and I think that you know, ultimately, we're not trying, we, I say we on behalf, just pastors in general, like we're not trying to convince anyone of anything. The reality is your best life is found when you're serving others and when you're growing the kingdom. And I mean, it, the Great Commission was for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's really the the basis for any service opportunity, whether it's a missional event that happens outside of a Sunday, traditional Sunday morning experience, or it's a Sunday morning experience. Like, that is the purpose of serving. And a lot of times we can get lost in the, not we, now I'm saying we as in Americans, you know, Christians, we, we can get lost in the, I'm doing this because it's what my church needs me to do. But that's not, that's not it at all. You know, no. we need to serve each other because we are the best when we're serving each other, yeah. period. Yeah. And I also don't want to paint a picture that they're like, that you should ignore a plea of like, oh, hey, we have, we really have this need. Is there anyone that can fill this gap? Because sometimes there are instances where like, oh, shoot, we're shorthanded over here. 
yeah, I could probably do that. Right. Like, not everything has to be, like, some super huge spiritual conversation right. about whether right. or not, like, I understand what serving here really is. But in general, like, if you build a volunteer or serving culture based off of this idea that we're just going to convince everyone to do it and, like, as a pastor standing on the stage, I'm going to, uh, I just want to encourage you all to prayerfully consider this as I emotionally manipulate you with spiritual language to feel, you know, guilty if you don't. Like, that just turns my stomach. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just not the heart of God at all, right? Like, that is not what what he wants for us. So... Yeah. But then again, as a pastor who knows the difficulty of filling some of those gaps that you feel the pressure to, sometimes I I understand it. Yeah, I, for I sure. Mean, I understand sure. it. Um, all right, so we kind of painted with that super broad brush and talked about the reluctance to serve or the serving for, um, for personal needs. I'm sure we both encountered both uh, throughout our, our time uh, as pastors. But ultimately... Like, what would you say to someone who um, truly does feel called, like, towards ministry, like, uh, vocationally speaking? So, because for me, um, I started out in ministry, like, as a part-time worship leader, 10 hours a week. Um, You know, I had a full-time job. Outside of that, I had a wife. I had one kid uh, at the time. And it was... um, a little bit before you came on at Conduit, but, you know, I walked through this whole progression of, like, from part-time guy to, like, I think I'm, like, called to do this. So I personally know that's a reality for some people, maybe some people who are listening. So what advice would you give? Um, and, I, and you've given some of it to me, so that's why we're both smiling right mm. now. But what advice would you give to someone who does feel that way? Um, I'll let you. Yeah. Go. Um, well, at the, you know, at the risk of being like sounding super cynical. Um, Remember, we're both Enneagram eights, yeah. so start there. It's this. It's like, don't, <laughs> like, don't. Um, in all seriousness, though, I had this professor in college, and I studied ministry in college, so like. Cameron's like a theologian. Like he's get, he knows his stuff. So I remember it was, this is one of the, like the most um, things that I remember most. He said, um, "If you can imagine yourself doing anything else, if you can have a dream about doing anything else in life other than being in full time ministry, do that thing instead." Wow. Yeah. That's so, huge. Right. Like, it was, he was was basically saying, like, do not go into this thing, like, half-cocked. Yeah. Don't go into this thing thinking, like, well, I'll I'll give it a try, and if it doesn't work out, I'll move on. Or, yeah, this might be cool, you know, like, I think I can learn a lot here. Listen, if you go into ministry with this sense of, like, I don't know if it's going to work, or I'm not really sure about it, or, yeah, maybe, or... This could be really good for my career, really good for my platform or whatever. Ministry will chew you up, spit you out, and walk away. Yeah. And you will be left a shell of yourself. Uh, I think I shared a quote with you <laughs> via text or whatever. 
um, from John Wesley, who said something to the effect of, um, if God does not raise you up for this very task, you will be wore out by the schemes of men and devils. Yep, it's true. And and it, unfortunately, we we both know circumstances we, that literally that's the case. Yeah, we've you know? we've both walked that we both walked that road, and I I would say you don't have to be in ministry very long to have walked that mm-hmm. road because you get front and center um, to the human condition, and sometimes the only or sometimes the human condition that you come front and center with is your own. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, for sure. And it it it's real. So I, I would say that, but that's not to scare people away from ministry. You know, um, I do find that ministry attracts a lot of people who believe that it will give them a sense of fulfillment in leadership. It'll give them a sense of like purpose and importance. And there's like maybe a natural vacuum of self-esteem or self-image that they think will be filled by being in ministry leadership. Yeah, and there's sure. some of that that does happen. You know, it can be in certain instances, um, I guess for lack of a better term, a prestigious title. But Well, I, I think some of that is just the American way. Anyone who's in a position of any type of leadership, our culture just celebrates. Yeah. And I don't, I don't necessarily even think that's on the quote unquote pastor. Like that's, I don't think that's the pastor's fault. I wouldn't even say it's just that it's what we're so used to anyone of any, you know, we just elevate people. Yeah, we do. We elevate people to the place that they don't belong. Um, and like, obviously the greatest example of leadership in scripture is Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, and probably one of the most like pivotal, leadership lessons that Jesus gives his disciples is in John 13, where he's meeting with them in the upper room before he's going to be betrayed. And at the beginning of John 13, um, John writes that the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. um, And Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his feet and given him authority um, over all things under heaven and earth. Like, so like you got so okay so one Jesus knows Judas is going to betray him. Mm-hmm. Jesus also knows the place of authority that he has mm-hmm. in the heavenly realms, right? And so then John goes, knowing all that basically, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer robe, and I mean like, outer robe is not not like he took off his winter jacket. Basically, John was like, Jesus stripped down to his underwear. Right. Right so that he could use his clothing to wash the feet of the men that he was leading, including the one that in an hour or two would betray him, right? Um, and And then at the end, Jesus is like, I have done this. Right. So that you will do it for others Mm. that that Jesus, Jesus modeled leadership, not as a not as a way Jesus modeled even in that in that instance that, listen, um, even I recognize the authority that I have, the heavenly authority that I have. But in light of my heavenly authority, like authority leads me not to puff up and point and say, go here, go there, do this, do that. Not to get 
like high up on the ladder, but to get low. Right. Like right. I'm gonna get as low as I can, as fast as I can. I'm gonna do the like the most menial, disgusting task ever. Wash your feet. Yeah. Um, as an example of doing that, or as an example of leadership for the this is the way that you lead. Right. You leave by you lead by serving. I think it was it's either Andy Stanley or Craig Rochelle or one of those goats that, you know, Right. Uh, they say something to the effect of, if serving is below you, um, then leadership will always be beyond you. Yep, it's so true. You know, um, so you said the thing about your professor who said, um, if you can imagine doing anything else, uh, you know, go do that. Ironically, I had someone probably in the last year say to me, and I mean... I channeled my, I did not channel my Enneagram 8 in this moment, but I had someone say to me, well, you know what they say, if you can't do anything else, just go into ministry. And I was like, oh, oh, bro, like you have no idea. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, like I've said, I had a full-time career in sales. I'm very familiar with the business world. Cameron's an amazing carpenter. Like Mm -hmm. we can do anything else. Mm -hmm. The problem is, we can't not do this, you know what I mean? Yep. And I, I say that facetiously, like it's not a problem, it's amazing, and it's our privilege. But, um, you know, in, uh, and I keep plugging his book, but it was so good, in Chris Vitarelli's book, uh, Small Church, Big Deal, he said the difference, he said for him he realized one of the differences um, as being a past, of, of being a pastor was like he would do things for people that they were just floored at. The, his willingness to serve and he literally was like what are you talking about this is normal because that you know what I mean like mm-hmm. when you have that servant heart your normal is different than other people's normal mm-hmm. um, this isn't to, to puff up pastors or anything but it's just a you know it's a really I guess here's what I would say in my experience going from uh, business world to pastoral world um, my advice would be get a Cameron Linehart in your life, get someone in your life that can walk you through the process carefully, cautiously, gently, and intentionally. Because um, if it's just something you haphazardly attach yourself to, or, you know, it, it, I don't know, it's a thing, you know, like it, having, being raised up properly makes a huge difference and can save you from a lot of grief. So, um, so that would be my caution is I, I think it's great. And even, you know, in the Bible, it talks about if you desire to be an overseer, you desire a noble thing, but like get counsel and get get wisdom from the outside and get instruction because it's not a small thing. It's a noble thing, but it's not a small thing, right? No, and it's a thing that's completely outside of yourself. Um, right. You know, like it requires not uh, building yourself up. It requires of a emptying right yourself out yeah. like leadership is not was not will never be about like filling myself it's all about emptying myself i'm just pulling up my bible here because like probably the second example like greatest example of jesus it's not an example but um when paul um in philippians chapter 2 he um is he talks about Jesus. He says, um, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God 
did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he was the, like, he was the dude. Right. 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 He had uh, it all. Being in very nature God. He was God. He still did not consider equality with the Father something to be grasped, but made himself. Yeah. So not was made humbled. Mm-hmm. Like he he took the initiative to lower himself. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And then in verse 9, Philippians 2, therefore God exalted him. Right, right. You know, therefore God exalted him to the highest place, yeah. gave him the name above every other name. Um, Jesus didn't go and, like, take his leadership by storm and saying, I deserve this because I'm the son of heaven, right? Like, and right. I, you know, like, and all authority shall be given to me. Uh, but no, like, he emptied and humbled himself in service of the plan of the Father, right? Mm. And because of, like, that emptying of himself, giving of himself, um, it was at that that he was exalted. Not exalt yourself and God will catch up and bless you. Humble yourself. Right, right. And you will be exalted. We have this phrase at Conduit that we've kind of talked about in the last, I don't know, maybe three or four months where... We're trying to get into the, into the, into the cultural DNA. We're saying, uh, conduits race to the back of the line. Mm, that's good. I race like that. to the back. Yeah, I always say, uh, humble yourself is a warning, right? Like, yes. Humble yourself, or else you're gonna get humbled. <laughs> you know, like well, that's the alternative to this situation yep. here. So. Yeah, you humility comes. Yeah. Like you have two choices with humility. You can, like you said, you can humble yourself yeah. or God will humble you. Yeah. Like, um, and. And even just life will humble you, right? Like just, I mean, circumstance, life, situations, mm-hmm. all of those things, mm-hmm. um, they ain't going anywhere. No. So, yeah. No. Um, all right. Well, so in closing then, I guess I would say it this way, um, backing up to kind of the beginning of our conversation, our best life is found when we're serving each other. Would you agree? Um, yes. That, that is, whether it's vocational ministry or you keep your full-time day job, which is the case for the majority of people that are listening to this, um, but even in that, find ways to serve, find people to serve. Yeah. I've had conversations with people who have literally told me they want to get into full-time ministry and also, my marriage is falling apart. And I just thought, well, there's your first opportunity for full-time ministry. You know, and I know it's easier said than done, but, I mean, if... if yeah, if you use ministry as a tool to fill some kind of gap yeah, or vacuum like, in your life... You're already playing from behind, right? Yeah, it's like, going gonna, gonna to gonna really just... It's going to make it... It's going to mess you up worse. Yeah. And the, the reality about that is... And the danger in that is that if, if you go in needing something from the people that you're serving rather than right. wanting to serve them, then you won't just do increased damage to you. You'll actually hurt them in sure. the process. Yeah, and like if it's – yeah, that's a, that's probably another podcast. But, you know, it, so anyways, I would just say this. You know, look for ways to serve people. Serve in your own home. Serve your family. Serve your, your spouse. Um, and serve in your church, not because your pastors need you to. Of course we need you to. We, you know, we, we can't do all this alone, but it's so much bigger than that. Your 
the fulfillment you're going to find when you watch kids so that that new family can go sit in a service and hear the gospel is huge. You know, you got to zoom out and you got to get that 50,000 foot view and remind yourself of like why I'm doing this uh, is so much bigger than just checking some box. So, you know, I'm doing the things that my pastors ask me to do. Like our hearts are so much bigger for you than that, you know? And so, right. uh, so that's really kind of where I guess I want to land it. But then, um, you know, as Cameron just said, if you do feel that call to vocational ministry, seriously weigh it, find outside voices, find help, find counsel, and don't rush into anything. Uh, but really, um, you know, make it count because it does count and it counts big. So yeah. any other thoughts you want to No, I think up? that sums it up pretty good. I appreciate like having the opportunity to just have a conversation. Yeah, it's been, it's been good. It's been fun. And um, yeah, we'll catch you next time on the Quintessential Ministry Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and hope you have an awesome week.